Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, it's time once more for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we get dive into the lives and careers of some very cool plant people to figure out why they do what they do and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the sciences. And as always, my friends, I am so excited to be with you today. With you today, two weeks in a row. Are you proud of me? If you're listening to this sometime in the future, it probably means nothing. But if you are an every week or every episode listener, like I hope you are, and you've been following along for a while, you know I took a little bit of a break. And I'm excited to be back at it with some kind of regularity, whatever that actually means. I'm not going to belabor this too much because my guest is so great today, and I just want to get right to the episode. So today I had the opportunity to talk to my friend Jack Baker. Jack is a PhD student studying at the... Royal Botanic Garden of Edinburgh, which is very impressive and a very cool title. He is a science communicator. No, no, I'm sorry. He is a two-time award-winning science communicator from different institutes all over the world. He is a smart human being who has worked in zoos and botanic gardens and aquariums and has all done all things nature. Jack is also the host of the Pangolin podcast, which is something you absolutely need to listen to and something we talk about in this episode. And I think you are going to enjoy him just as much as I did. I've really enjoyed getting to know Jack over the past few weeks or actually the past few months, just being Twitter friends. And I've gotten to talk to him twice now and it makes me very happy. So I'll talk about social media and all the things in the mid-roll, but for now, let's get to it. Get ready for episode 88 of the Planthropology Podcast, Plants, Pangolins, and PhDs with my friend, Jack Baker. All right. Uh... I'm so excited about this. Uh, Jack, how are you today? I am very, very, very good. I am, yeah, just started my PhD. I'm like back in Scotland. I'm slightly adjusted back to my time zone after a trip to Arizona. (laughs) So I'm a lot more awake than I've been the last week. And so, yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty good today. Pretty, pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, and we we chatted just a second before uh, the recording started about how time zones are weird. Yep. Um, <laughs> and how I was like, oh, how's your day going? And it's like, what, 7 p.m. there or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's lunchtime here. So mm-hmm. it's it, it gets confusing. <laughs> yeah. I've just finished my dinner. Um, I, I don't usually eat as early as that. But I was like, I'm not going to be sat here by the end of this recording with my stomach rumbling into the microphone. <laughs> I thought, let's go. Let's eat early and then be ready. So, yeah, this is dinner time here, lunchtime for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, um, Jack, again, we, uh, I've been excited about having you on. I really enjoyed getting to be on your show recently. And, um, I'm excited for people to be able to hear more of your story because mm-hmm. I know we probably share some listeners and, uh, it's just, I don't know. It, it's cool getting to hear from different people, especially mm-hmm. different people that are more recently getting into to working with plants. Mm-hmm. So, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more? Tell us like where you grew up, what you did in school, um, how you kind of got to where you are today. Yeah. So, um, my name is Jack. Hello to anyone who knows who I am. Hello to anyone who does not know who I am. Um, I'm the host of Pangolin, the conservation podcast, which you, of course, yes, you were my season four finale guest, um, very, very recently. Um, and yeah, it's nice to be kind of when you were talking there, I was thinking, yes, it's nice to be able to talk 
freely because usually I am the one interviewing people and kind of not talking about myself um, and not <laughs> saying anything about me. So yeah, it's, it's nice to be answering questions for a change. Um, so yeah, um, I'm the host of Pangolin. It's a podcast that celebrates underappreciated conservation stories, whether they be plant or animal or people-based stories, celebrate all sorts of stuff um, like that. And I guess... How I got here now, um, I grew up in Scotland, um, which for anyone who's been knows that it's filled with fantastic nature, wonderful animals and plants. Um, and so it was very easy for me from a very young age to kind of fall in love with everything that was round about me, like everything from the little birds that we have in our back garden, the little kind of robins and blue tits and all sorts of things, all the way up to the mountains where <laughs> I say the mountains all the way up to the mountains. It's probably about a half hour drive from my house and I can be up a mountain. <laughs> um, so all the way up to there, fell in love with all sorts of stuff when I was younger, um, kind of to do with nature. And then from there, yeah, grew up, went to school um, here, lived in Scotland my whole life, did primary school and then high school here. Um, in high school, did all sorts of kind of sciencey things, but then was told, I think the classic thing, which is do what you're really good at, go to university and do what you're really, really good at. So I went mm -hmm. and did politics and international relations, oh. which is, yeah, not what I think a lot of people would expect from me, given the amount I talk about animals and plants and nature. Um, so I went away and did that. Um, Realised while doing that, that as much as I am good at it, it's not necessarily what I enjoy doing. So yeah, went back to uni, did a did master's in conservation studies. Um, and then, yeah, now doing a PhD with in collaboration with the Royal Botanic Garden in Edinburgh, all about um, the impact of living collections on the climate and biodiversity crisis. And then, yeah, lots of stuff along the way, working at aquariums and zoos and botanic gardens and all sorts of things, um, which, yeah, we can get into. But that's the kind of yeah. basic storyline, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you've done, I mean, you've done a little bit of everything, really. You've mm -hmm. done a lot. Yeah. That's my, my first job in the aquarium. Like every job, every, I still sometimes go back to that because even within that one role in my life, I did everything. Like the role yeah. that I was in was classified as visitor services. Um, and it was <laughs> very much like visitor services means you're educating primary school children. You are uh, cleaning up if a child has an accident in the hallway. You're then going off to do a starfish presentation and tell people about that. You're then going to go and do a seal talk. You're going to feed this animal. Then you're going to work in the gift shop for a bit and then also help out in the cafe. And so even within that one role, I feel like I did a lot. And then when I expand that bubble to everything else that I've done, I don't know where I find time to sleep, but I, you know, I do. <laughs> Sometimes I do, I promise. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's only when I talk to people like you about this, I'm like, oh, I, I, yeah, I've done quite a bit actually. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting. We even talked on, on Pangolin about how I think we're kindred spirits and a lot of mm -hmm. this and the, like we all, we both like doing a lot of different things mm -hmm. and like experiencing as much of our field as we can. And I, I think mm -hmm. that's cool. I enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And I will, I'm the type of person where if somebody asks me to do something or somebody thinks, says like, oh, like you might be interested in this, I will always look into it. I will always say yes if somebody asks me to do something because, yeah, I feel like the more you learn about the world around you, the more you appreciate it, the more different little facets and aspects you learn about, you grow to like love all the little weird things that are going on. And yeah, I... I don't know. I guess I always like to say, like, I've worked in an aquarium, in a zoo, and in a botanic garden. So I really have, like, completed that circle of life of, like, every <laughs> aspect of living creature I have done a little bit in. Um, and hopefully with the PhD, obviously, I'll specialise into certain things and, like, I'll sure. 
get to be knowledgeable about all sorts of things, but I also enjoy being that person who at a pub quiz or just when you're walking around and your friend has a question about something that flies past or is growing, being that person who's generalist enough to be like, well, actually, I can tell you about this. Like, yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I went to when I was in London, um, uh, like just after I'd started at the Botanic Garden that I worked in, um, we went up the... Um, to one of the viewing points to the Sky Garden, which is like you're meant to look out at the skyline of London and like appreciate the beauty of the city. But in fact, I was stood there being just enough of a generalist in a bit of everything at that point to be like, look at these plants. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the fact that that's a fern. <laughs> and even though it looks like a palm tree, it's not. It's a, it's a type of fern. Like that's the type of nerdy generalist I enjoy being. Yeah. Oh, I, I so much feel that like... It's funny because my wife and I will go to the zoo or or whatever, and mm-hmm. you know I like animals, but and she's an she her um her degrees in wildlife science, mm-hmm. and so uh, she did conservation and management and collections, mm-hmm. and so um she'll be looking at the animals and talking about the animals, and like she'll turn around and I'm just gone, <laughs> and I'm probably looking at a tree mm-hmm. or I've seen a flower that I like, and I'm yeah no I I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've a wide-ranging interest, and they all kind of compete for space at the same time. Yeah, that's yeah, and I have done exactly this. Like last year, I went to Chester Zoo with one of my friends, and we walked in, and the first thing you see at Chester Zoo is elephants, and that's supposed to be the draw of like, wow. Mm-hmm. But just as you walk into the elephants, there's a tree stump that clearly was a tree at some point. They've cut it down and it's now Mm -hmm. just like this little stump, which to anyone else walking past it would completely blank it. It's not even something you'd register. It's not something you'd think about, but it had mushrooms growing all over it. So we walked in Uh, and I was like, look at that mushroom. Like, (laughs) Look at that. That's the biggest mushroom. And (laughs) all of these like kids running past me to go and see the elephants. And I'm just sat there like squatting like, look at that. That's weird. Look. (laughs) So yeah, that's, I, I think... Although, to be fair, I feel like we have enough friends in common now in terms of like the podcasting and nature world that we know that we're not alone in that. I feel like pretty much everyone I know now would do the same thing, but it's still that. Yeah. Yeah, Easily distracted by cool stuff, (laughs) which I'm not sorry about. Um, So I'm going to put you on the spot. Out of those three like sort of career paths you've sort of taken or job Mm -hmm. paths, which has been your favorite between like the zoo, the aquarium, or, or are they all just all different? So I feel like in this setting, I should definitely say Botanic Garden. Um, oh, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I guess like I love them all for different reasons. I think the aquarium holds a special place in my heart because it's the first job I ever had. It was where I kind of decided like, okay, I'm going to go down the kind of nature career pathway. The mm-hmm. zoo I love because I love animals. Like deep down, I am like an animal person. That's how I first got... I think animals are the gateway to most people into nature and they were the thing that kind of opened that door for me and kind of made me realize there was more out there than just people and those kinds of options of career. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's the one that really, like, I would maybe say, like, is the favorite just because of the, like, childhood joy. But then I also love the plants because I think during lockdown, so I started working at a botanic garden just after I finished um, my master's mid-pandemic, still in lockdown. And I think having that space and the plants to kind of go and appreciate and kind of it was still at that stage where no one could come into the garden so and no one could come into the glass houses and all of these see all these wonderful things so as sad as that was it was also nice for me because it provided this nice like 
re- relaxing release place where I could go and be by myself and enjoy nature and connect with nature and fall in love with plants. So I, I, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I feel like at different stages throughout my life, they've all kind of meant different, really important things to me. And I, it kind of shifts. I think, like, nostalgically, I love the aquarium. Practically, and like childhood joy of like animals love the zoo, and then having like an important meaning later on in life, I'm kind of starting to fall in love with plants. The botanic garden wins, but like, so it really is like a complete cop out answer. But no, that's fine. No, (laughs) but I think that's important. I think the way we approach the things we do is so interesting to me, and like the fact that we can have different favorites and different, um sort of, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is, maybe priorities or whatever at different stages of our life, depending on what's going on with us. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that tells such a good story that like, okay, yes, I mean, it's so cool that you've worked at like all these places in the aquarium Mm -hmm. and you see all the value in things that were built around that. And um, you can look back and see what the zoo taught you. Mm -hmm. And now you're kind of getting to find almost a new career path through the botanical garden Mm -hmm. i love that and it it is it's exactly that because and i think what's the good thing what the good thing is is like there was there's a point where and there is i'm still kind of working for both the zoo and the botanic garden in kind of a Mm. zero hours kind of sense of like i go in when they need me and it's interesting now still kind of like learning from one another and i think so like while the aquarium is kind of removed and that kind of set up the foundation of how i present and how i became kind of an educator in these spaces um going forward now like having those two things the botanics and the zoo working backwards and forwards it raises different questions for me it raises different kind of ethical things for me it raises kind of different it's just the ways of presenting things and different challenges and like you learn so much from having the both of them on the go at once which is really interesting because like i guess an example would be like so animals classically quite easy to present because they have fur and they're fluffy and they have the big eyes and the floppy ears and whatever it is people love them you don't have that advantage with plants so like learning like how to like present plants in a way as charismatic and interesting to kids also then assists the zoo again because you learn how to sell these difficult animals like some of the weirder kind of creepy crawlies that people maybe don't like like Hmm. and you kind of build on each other and like yeah that's it's it's a good symbiotic relationship going on there between the two i'm I'm a big fan Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really interesting i hadn't i hadn't really thought of it that way but that's really an interesting uh perspective Mm -hmm. that being able to like come up with ways to present one thing Mm -hmm. again like plants that are like you say, maybe a little harder to get people excited about, really opens the door and gives you the tools to present another thing. That That's really a cool way to look mm-hmm. at it. Yeah, like I, I, something I was... So for people who are wondering, and I feel like I did a... Not a bad job of introducing myself, but like in terms <laughs> of like the careers that I've been doing. So like in the zoo, I am an educator. I'm there to kind of like teach people about wildlife. And my, <laughs> my official title is Discovery and Learning Associate which makes me sound oh. very important, but it, it is, <laughs> it's literally on there to just chat about animals. And then in the, ba- in, <laughs> in the botanics, I've had a couple roles where I worked as the, a learning technologist, kind of with the kind of website and presenting stuff online, but then also as a summer school teacher. So teaching kids in person about things. So all kind of similar skill sets. And I think something that I learned at the botanics, which this summer, which I haven't had time to like implement in terms of animals that i'd like to kind of think about more is like storytelling in a way of like Mm -hmm. i told the stories during the summer school that i was running about um 
Echo and Narcissus and like these Greek myths and myths from old Scottish myths and kind of myths and legends around the world surrounding plants. And I think by kind of giving the kids like a personality to like a plant and how it became the way it was and whether it was narcissistic or whether it kind of all of these things, like giving them that personality really helped to make kids engage with the plants. And they really took those stories away. And I think that's something that And even in that setting, because we were in a botanic garden, I told stories about pollinators. So I told the story of Melissa, who was the first honeybee in Greek myth. Um, And that really worked well in translating not just plants, but also pollinators. And I'd be interested Hmm. to take that to a zoo setting and see if like, does, do you need the stories to engage people? Do they want to sit down? Because a garden is a very relaxing setting where people can sit and learn things um, and listen to a story. But could you do the same thing in a zoo? Like all of these questions fly backwards and forwards and are interesting huh. to me. So, yeah. That that's really fascinating. And that would actually make a really cool research project mm-hmm. of uh time spent in like different parts of maybe a, a garden versus a zoo mm-hmm. and how that impacts like education about the sub. That's a really cool idea. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the cuz yeah, it's so easy to get kids to relax in a garden where there's just light bird song and kind of like we did a whole activity mm-hmm. which was and I was really nervous about cuz someone had suggested it and organized it and I was really nervous about it and it was a writing activity where we got them to sit under a veil of silence and they would sit in the garden and the whole activity was like sit now think like the all the prompts for the writing were basically they got given a postcard sized bit of paper and the prompts were like we want you to write this short kind of descriptive piece of writing about i can smell what i can hear hmm. what i can feel what i can see what what's around you what can you see and working in total silence to appreciate the garden and i was nervous about that because i was like having worked in zoos previously if you were to try and do that next to a habitat filled with gibbons or chimpanzees that's just not going to function but in the garden setting it worked really well so it's yeah it would be interesting to actually do a proper study of like where do these activities and outdoor learning things divulge into different stuff but yeah yeah, um, very cool yeah so so speaking of research um (laughs) let's let's talk about your phd a little bit because Mm -hmm. i think that that's it's really such a cool topic um and and you've mentioned a little bit how it sort of has come out of your time at the botanic garden Mm -hmm. and and your work there uh can you tell us a little bit more about like how that started how you decided it's something you wanted to pursue Mm -hmm. and then um you mentioned that you've been uh scrambling and uh speed writing a literature (laughs) review uh And uh, if you don't mind, just like take us through what that process of getting into that looked like and sort of why you picked the topic you did. Mm, Yeah. So I um, if you couldn't tell already, I love nature and I love wildlife and I've always loved these sorts of things. Um, And I'm really interested. Also, subtle hint by all of the jobs that I've had. I'm really interested in how conservation science and how conservation knowledge and animal knowledge and plant knowledge and all of these things, how that research is translated whether it be to the general public and visitors of good gardens or wherever it is or to policymakers and to kind of on a kind of higher almost level to the kind of decision makers it's all kind of this conservation communication stuff has always really interested me i think especially with Mm -hmm. my background in international relations and politics it kind of fed in there and even at that point when i was doing my undergraduate degree i was already starting to think about anthropocentrism and kind of how um, laws and kind of nature is perceived and kind of thought about. And so all of these ideas were swirling around and they had been swirling around through my master's. And then I was working at the Botanic Garden for a few years after kind of stepping out of the master's. 
Um, and yeah, kind of, I'd always thought about doing a PhD because I thought it's something that I really want to kind of be able to spread this message as far as possible. I really want to be able to do it in the, a way that's kind of best and the way that's kind of, I feel the most well-equipped and I feel like a PhD would be a good way to learn all the skills that I need to kind of get information out there and try and also kind of be able to understand it properly and all sorts of stuff. So I'd always kind of been interested in taking it to the next level and doing a PhD. And I was working at the Botanics and I'd never really considered doing a PhD in terms, in like a collaborative setting or in terms mm-hmm. of like with, um, it's certainly not with a botanic garden because anyone who knew me before I worked at the botanic garden, it was always animals, 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 animals. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I, um, yeah, I was speaking, it was during one of my like um, every six months kind of reviews that you have with your manager. Um mm-hmm. And he kind of <laughs> caught me off guard slightly because during the review, he went, you don't want to do this forever, do you? Because I was working kind of assisting with his course. And hmm. it's quite like a, like, it, it kind of takes you off guard when your manager says to you, oh, you, you don't want to do the job you're doing now because it makes you think, oh, like, like I, and he was like, no, you're doing it really well and you clearly like are enjoying it, but that's not the forever plan. And I kind of was like, no, I kind of have always wanted to do this and kind of explore PhDs and do this all sort of thing. And he said, well, listen, like your interests in the community communication of conservation are something the garden is really interested in, something that we could definitely find a way to form your ideas and kind of help kind of shape that and and move mm-hmm. you forward into the into a PhD program. And I thought, well, that's fantastic. So as soon as that kind of happened, um, I was emailing people in the garden, different researchers and stuff that work. Because at the, the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh, there are a hu- there's a huge amount of science that goes on behind the scenes. There's kind of huge amount of research goes on around the world. So there's a lot of people there who I wanted to speak to about kind of what they did, where they thought there was openings for PhDs, where they thought maybe would they supervise things. And so I started just chatting away to people. Um, and eventually I found Alex Davy, who's my supervisor now, and we talked okay. a bit. She is the science, I wouldn't say policy and impact officer or something along those lines. I've definitely got okay. that wrong. So if you're listening, Alex, I'm very sorry. <laughs> um, so her job is kind of like taking all of the research that the garden does and translating it out into the general public and like into like press releases or into kind of like if anyone asks basically for information she kind of will formulate it for them and we were talking about how the garden does that and how kind of we know we have impact but there's no way to kind of monitor that or register that or kind of track the impact in a way um Mm -hmm. and so yeah we kind of started working on this idea of kind of like how to measure the impact of a living collection um, that features not just plants, but also a huge amount of research, a huge herbarium, huge pieces of kind of... There's the collection at the Botanics has books and archives and um, artwork and all sorts of stuff. How does all of that collection, how is it used to impact the climate and biodiversity crises? Because those are ultimately what the, the garden wants to kind of help prevent and limit the negative impacts of so how yeah so we kind of started working with this idea we brought in kind of um suzanne who's head of the education department at the botanics and then i went out and started bothering people at different universities to kind of be like would you be interested in working on this um and so eventually found aiden and sam at the university of edinburgh who are my supervisors now and we kind of all came together 
and worked on this idea and it got pulled in a hundred different directions all at once. And because I have previously said, I say yes to everything, I wanted to investigate (laughs) all the different options. And it became kind of a camel of like, um, like a horse designed by committee where it was like, yeah, it's got the hump and this and that, and it's going to do this and that and the next thing. And so it kind of, yeah, um, all of that kind of happened, but then got that slap back to reality of, come on, you can't do everything. And so we kind of took the idea got it right back down to basics worked it all out um and yeah it kind of became this project that i'm working on now which is um titled something very long which always goes out my head but is basically what is the impact of the work of the royal botanic garden edinburgh um and its living collection on the climate and biodiversity crisis and how does kind of yeah everything that we do impact that both within the uk where we're based and in scotland um and where we do our work abroad and is all that work being done in the most effective and appropriate way um so there's a lot of that to pull out and a lot to unpack there um sure but that's kind of the basic idea and how we how we got to it and yeah it was a long road it took a like in terms of like writing it and finding it all um all the funding and stuff it took like over a year to get to this point but we're here oh, now sure. and that's what matters <laughs> oh sure i say building a horse by committee i like that yeah. um and i you know that's that's really a fascinating project because i think like you kind of mentioned one of our biggest challenges in um education in general mm-hmm. i i think in a lot of ways but especially public education like uh non-traditional like non-classroom education like like you and i both do a lot of mm-hmm. uh it's hard to measure impact. It's mm-hmm. hard to look at, okay, you know, we have this this garden that has signage and it has collections and like, okay, but are we, what are we doing? Like, what, is it meaningful? Is it, mm-hmm. so I'm excited to see where your project goes because this is like close to my heart too mm-hmm. in, you know, we try to educate people and we try to build um, an ethos of conservation mm-hmm. and of love for nature and all these things. But actually being able to come up with like tools to measure that is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And yeah, like when I've been doing all of my reading and stuff for this, like in the first few weeks where I've kind of been diving in, it's people can measure or people have found ways to measure or at least kind of quantify in some way in different gardens around the world how they've kind of reduced since the 1990s, how they've reduced the use of peat in their gardens mm-hmm. because that is mm-hmm. a quantifiable kind of okay yes. we've used that less of this we know we've done this they've also kind of it's easier to quantify kind of oh we use different pesticides or we use different things to kind of that are less kind of like it's easier to kind of deal with that kind of aspect when you're dealing with people people are really awkward because it's kind of this <laughs> like they have all the information inside them about their imp- the impact yeah. and like getting them to tell you it and getting them and tracking that pathway of like they came to the garden when they were five or they came to the garden when they were 13 or they came whenever, whatever age they came, when they came to the garden when they were 40, when they came to the garden when they were 60, whatever it is, knowing once they leave that space, knowing what they do with the information or the impact that's kind of been presented to them is really difficult to track. And it's difficult to know whether you've kind of inspired them in the room and they've kind of felt like, yeah, this is great. But then they've walked away and not, not actually implemented anything you said. Or like some people sure. who don't look like they're responding might be the ones who are really processing it most of all. And it's just hard to know exactly that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. think one of the major challenges we have for the project going forward that I'm really interested to try and 
Like this is the one. This is the major first hurdle, I think. Before we get into field work and all of the other stuff, is like, what is impact? How do you define impact, hmm. and how do you quantify hmm. it? Because there's so many, like, there's so many documents, and every garden, and every zoo, and every conservation organization, I feel like, around the world, is slightly guilty of this, in that they all throw out, "We have impact because we did this." I'm like, okay, but running that program or putting up that poster or planting that plant or doing whatever it is, is not necessarily impact. Impact right. is what the effects of that were for me, longer term right. effects and what the actual kind of, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting one to kind of define. And I, I don't have an answer yet. And so I'm not going to no, sit here I... and pick apart like, Oh, you should be doing this. Cause I don't know. Oh, but like, no, sure. yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's an interesting one and I'm excited to, lose my mind over trying to work out the answer <laughs> <laughs> you know in, in some ways it's that's really really fascinating to me because mm. in some ways like my phd research part of it was looking at um how people use water in the urban landscape and what things um i guess direct their usage influence their uh outlook on it how they use it etc why what makes them save water make what makes them use water mm -hmm. and we were looking at trying to figure out like uh, we kind of came up with a metric called perceived landscape importance, mm -hmm. essentially of how important is your garden, your landscape, mm -hmm. your urban environment, green space to you. And then how can we, like, how does that factor into how much water you use and all that? Mm -hmm. And one of the things we tried to look at was the effectiveness of different, uh, or the impact, I guess, of different like communications from municipalities mm -hmm. or uh, both in like written communication, verbal um, but then also things like price structures and restrictions, like mm -hmm. those are communication tools in some way. Uh, and it, yeah, no. So it was really a, a challenging trying to work out like, how do we survey appropriately? How do we ask the right mm -hmm. questions in 10 different ways to drag out, like you said, these little nuggets of information that, that actually tell a story. So no, I, I mm -hmm. very much sympathize with that, that it is a challenging road, but mm -hmm. Once you sort of figure some of that stuff out, oh, it's so interesting looking at the way that people think mm -hmm. and the way that people process the information you're giving them. Yeah, that's and it's yeah, it's something that obviously throughout my career has come out time and time and time again of like, like, I really I always want to know, like, where are the kids that I taught? At the aquarium would have been six, seven years ago now. Where are they? What are they doing? Biology? Are they doing these mm -hmm. kind of subjects? Because they would be in high school now. So where are they? Like, and I wish I could go in and survey those people. And I think that's the kind of right. like this is the the thing of like I only have three years to do this. So how do I kind of quantify? Like, yeah, there's so many questions there, but I'm just yeah, I'm excited to get stuck in and and try and and work it out. Um, because yeah, there's like right now I think like. Yeah, there's just there's so many different ways people seem to measure things. Like I was reading papers um over the last few days about kind of the work of Kew Gardens um in London and the Botanic Garden Edinburgh and they seem to measure impact in terms of like these line up with the sustainable development goals set by the UN. So mm. they are impactful. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that if I agree <laughs> with that 100%. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what my how I like my spin on things take where that takes me and if i am actually able to come up with an idea and get through all that stuff yeah, going on awesome. in people's brains yeah <laughs> that's so fascinating i can't wait to see where that goes mm -hmm. for sure um looking at the time let's take a quick break and uh i'll say some 
post-recorded words at our <laughs> listeners, and we'll come back. And I'm going to talk about uh, your recent trip to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then on, when we come back, I also want to talk about your podcast and some of the science communication stuff you do. So Perfect. Uh, we'll be right back. Well, hey there, compadres. Welcome to the mid-roll, a time where you and I get to chat, spend some time together. How are you? How's the family? Everyone doing well? I'm glad to hear it. We're good on this end as well. Hey, so if you would like to connect with me and with Planthropology, you can follow me all the places. I am Planthropology Pod on Instagram, Planthropology on Facebook. There's also a Planthropology's Cool Plant People Facebook group, which you definitely need to be a part of. I am Planthropology underscore on Twitter because somebody beat me to it. But if you just remember Planthropology, which is Anthropology with a PL slapped, right on the front you can type that in look for the green background and the bristlecone pine and you can find me pretty much anywhere for better or worse i am also at the plant prof on the tiktok machine oh yes the place for gen z's and gen alpha and us millennials hanging on to our youth you can hear me yell about bananas and all kinds of other things if you'd like to support the show, you can do that a lot of ways. You can head over to buymeacoffee.com slash planthropology. And for the price of a coffee, you can buy me a coffee. I drink a good deal of the hot bean water. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or CastBox or anywhere else you are able. I wear a size five-star review if you'd like to get me a gift. Christmas is coming up, you know. Um, but I would also just really value your feedback. Maybe don't drop a one-star rating without running that past me or giving me your feedback you can email me at planthropologypod at gmail.com as well i would like to thank the texas tech department of plant and soil science for supporting the show for sponsoring the show and for just letting me do the thing i'd also like to thank the Podfix network for letting me be on the network y'all i have a really exciting trailer for you right now right now right this minute coming up in just a second my dear friend ellen weatherford who is a regular guest on the show you've heard her a few times starting a brand new podcast called spellbound and gagged where she talks about some of the weird just cursed knowledge facts out there uh things that you will definitely find interesting but that you may not want to talk about at your next dinner party with your parents you might. Depends how much you like to be invited to dinner with your parents. So I actually get to be on episode two of the show. If you're listening to this episode the day it comes out, which is November 10th, 2022, episode one of Spellbound and Gagged drops tomorrow, and you need to jump into it. If you are listening to this sometime in the unknowable future, the show's already out, and I hope that you'll listen to it then. So uh, get ready for the trailer for Spellbound and Gagged by my dear friend, Ellen Weatherford, coming at you in five Four, three, two, one. It's 2 a.m. You should be sleeping, but instead you're 15 incognito browser tabs deep in a research rabbit hole about the weirdest thing you've ever heard of. Could people have sex in space? Can plants kill people? What happens to nuclear waste? We're right there in those cursed knowledge trenches with you. Join us twice a month on Spellbound and Gagged for conversations about all the weird, gross, and unsettling topics that we can't talk about in polite company. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts, but don't quote us at dinner parties. Okay, we are back. I hope you enjoyed all that nonsense I just said it <laughs> at you, dear listener. Um, okay, so... I wanted to talk uh, for a little bit about your recent trip because, uh, and I want you to tell tell me more about how this all came about, but you gave a presentation at the North American Association for Environmental Education, which is 
you know, thousands of miles from you. <laughs> yep. And uh, how how did this happen? What did how did you get like this? You were honored at this thing, right? Like you got you won an award. Is that correct? So yes, it still feels very strange to say these things because um, yes, <laughs> I I get to say, especially now, um, I was actually recently placed on another list of interesting things i was give, but we can i was placed on a list of top 50 zoo and aquarium influencers recently as well so i can now say i'm a wow. multi-award winning conservationist <laughs> which just makes my ego go through the roof but the, <laughs> the first <laughs> the first award i won this year uh, which i listeners i am not as pretentious as i sound i understand it is ridiculous like i yeah i don't understand it either i won something it's great um I, <laughs> it's not something that happens to me often so when two come along in a year i'm very excited about it um, but no earlier this year the north american association for environmental education put me on their list of uh 30 under th- their 30 under 30 list so it's a list of 30 individuals that they publish every year under the age of 30 who are doing something um to promote environmental education in an interesting or different or kind of unique, I suppose, I suppose way. Um, and yeah, I was invited out to um, Arizona to speak at their conference as on their kind of closing plenary, as part of their closing plenary event. Wow. Um, yes. Which when the email came in, it was kind of like, oh, we'd love for you to speak in Arizona. And I like the first couple of sentences, I was like, I'm, I'm in Scotland. Like I, <laughs> I maybe virtually like I can't possibly like. There's no way I can I can do that. But they were very generous, and they said, "Well, we'll fly like you across. We'll put you up in a hotel. We'll kind of make sure you get there, and like you're like everything is sorted. And yeah, we'd love for you to speak." Um, which was madness um, and kind of scary because mm-hmm. yeah, it was it's it was bizarre. Like I am. Um, like yeah i guess i was on the keynote speakers page for this event of like it was me next to like published authors of like robin wall kimmerer who wrote the book breeding sweetgrass i think it's called like oh, wow yeah big big wow. name like julie packard who founded the monterey bay aquarium um and all of these other like amazing people and then me <laughs> and i was like this is bizarre but it felt so special it felt so justifying being like Having young, because it was me and another one of the 30 under 30 were invited to speak, Renata. And it felt really good to have young voices on that stage and on that thing as well. So, yeah, that's why I was in Arizona. That's why I w- the award I was being honoured with, I suppose. And like, that's the kind of, yeah, how I got there. Um, that is yeah. so cool. Yeah, it was. That's so cool. It was really well, cool. Well, congratulations <laughs> on both awards, actually. That's that's really amazing. And and honestly, they are so well-deserved and so well-earned. Um I think you you don't give yourself enough credit, probably, and and uh, it's I don't know. I, I think it's really cool that you were recognized just for your great work in in education. Thank you. Like, yeah, it's it's a weird one because it's kind of like you read like what gets sent to you, which is the like, oh, so he's done this, 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 and this, and you're like, well, all of that is true, but like, <laughs> like I I do I still don't know if like. Are you sure you meant to pick me? Because like, like that's all right. But like, I'm sure there are other people who've done more interesting things. But like, no, it felt so good, and it feels so. It felt so justifying because like, I am for listeners. I've not mentioned. I'm 25 years old, um, and so to be like, and I think for a lot of people going into a career in environmental education or anything really environmental or nature, a mm-hmm. lot of the time you're told like, not a, not a great idea. 
Like maybe go into something where you'll earn a lot of money or maybe try and like do something like a proper like job. And you're like, well, no, what I do is interesting. I love it. And it is a proper job. It's just not what you would consider necessarily to be uh, a right. job because it's not something that fits into the kind of like banker or doctor or like format of like that we're meant to think. Um, and so it feels really justifying when an organization like NAAEE, which I've had to say that acronym so many it's times very difficult now. To say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when organizations like they do, like 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 they like them, um, recognize you and your work, it feels really justifying to be kind of like, oh, like somebody does recognize that what we're doing is important, and what kind of all of these different organizations that I've worked for and all of the little projects that I've done by myself, all of them, like having those recognized as like things. Were, was really exciting, especially because like my podcast, Pangolin, which I think was a lot of the reason I was nominated, is kind of this passion project of mine, which is a chance for me to not really speak about me, but to elevate other stories and stories that aren't told often. So really, it's kind of like, I'm put on this list, but the the stories that, like, I'm just glad I'm on there because the stories that, it brings more attention to the stories that like sure. really matter to me, which are the ones that I kind of feature on the show and kind of have nothing to do with me, but are like kind of pushed up a little bit by me just kind of shouting about them. So yeah, it's really nice. So when you, when you're, when you presented at this, is that kind of what you talked about? Just like your podcast and the things you do? Yeah. So they asked us to come introduce ourselves um, kind of, so the event I was speaking at was kind of a closing plenary event where they had um, awards at the start. Um, and then they had um, five, speakers doing like little mini ted talk style things where it was kind of um 10 they said 10 to 12 minutes i went for 15 because if you couldn't work it out already listeners i talk a lot when somebody (laughs) gives me a microphone um so yeah i was um they yeah so uh five speakers kind of talking about kind of their work and everything that they do um and just kind of a topic that was interesting for them so yeah first speaker made me very nervous because it was Renata, the other 30, under 30 person talking about smashing the patriarchy to save the planet. And I was like, <laughs> that is so inspirational and it's not what yeah. I'm doing, but yes. Um, and then second person was a Nat Geo photographer who like has this huge career of like taking pictures. Third person was Nick talking about his, um, he kind of runs this kind of startup that kind of does um, tech things and environmental things. And then it was me and I was kind of, I was fourth, which and I was up, it made me quite nervous because I was like, oh, like going forth is tricky. But um, yeah, I, I was up in a more kind of, I kind of went for a more lighthearted, jokey, sure. like people like to hear a Scottish accent. I learned in Arizona. <laughs> so I was just up there oh, to man. be like, yay, look at me. Um, and, but no, I talked about the um, the podcast, how it came about during the pandemic, what it does, um, how it's kind of created this community of people around the world who are listening to each other's underappreciated stories. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some of the lessons I've learned along the way. Um, so if anyone in the audience was interested in setting up something similar or just kind of hearing a a nice encouraging word of advice um that was that was my thing um and i think i think it went pretty well it's all a blur in my mind like i got up oh, on I'm that sure. stage and the lights were blinding and i couldn't really hear the audience responding but i got came off people told me i was funny and it was good and that's that's, that's what i wanted awesome. yeah <laughs> that's awesome so i okay i'm curious what you thought of 
Arizona? Because in my mind, if I was like, what is the opposite of Scotland? <laughs> Arizona is probably somewhere mm-hmm. on that list of things that are like geologically, like uh, plants, environment, uh, people in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, what w- what was your impression? Because you said you've only been in the U.S. a couple of times, right? You said you've spent time in Florida. Is that correct? Yes. Then, I mean, I've been to Disney World a couple of times. That's so I don't know if I've gotten okay, the well, true, authentic, no, that's American fair. experience. Yeah, that's it's, great. Yeah, <laughs> there is there are very few things more American than Disney. <laughs> so, um, in a lot of ways. Uh, but what did you think? Like, what was your experience like uh, visiting this cool new place? So yeah, I was absolutely terrified because i was like traveling it's a long way to go by yourself um oh yeah and like it was my first time traveling like i've been down to london and been like to places ne- relatively nearby by myself and i've flown by myself somewhere to meet somebody but this was my first time like going ab- going away to like somewhere completely new completely different i didn't know anyone in arizona before i went like the nearest people i think i like the nearest person who i felt like i would like oh i could call them like and they might help if something went wrong would be like in new york or like up in, like <laughs> so like i was i was like a long way away from home and i was kind of nervous but then yeah when i arrived the first night i arrived it was pitch black so I just went straight to bed this when but then the next morning when i woke up and kind of went outside i was like this is fantastic like this is like so bizarrely different to scotland to me because mm-hmm. Anyone who's not been to Scotland or doesn't know Scotland particularly well, it is very rainy. It can be quite cold. We can go through about four seasons in a day where we go have like, we wake up and it's raining, then it gets sunny, then it gets windy and cloudy. And then by the end of the day, it's snowing. And that would be like, not questioned as weird in Scotland. Um, And so, yeah, going to Arizona where it is hot. I think they said it was sunny 350 days of the year. It's about right. Yeah, it's not something me or my body was used to. Um, And like, yeah, like everything just, I felt like a child, like wandering around just in awe of everything the whole time. Like walking out of my hotel room and having like a lizard just sat on the mat in front of me and being like, oh, I needed to step around that. Um, And then like walking back from my, like, walking like when i went for meals and stuff in the evening if i would get back to the hotel quite late um and be walking along all the corridors were outdoors walking along kind of the lit corridor hearing coyotes like howling in the night like that is not like you'd maybe get like a stray cat like screeching at you in scotland <laughs> but you're not going to get something like a a, a coyote Coyotes yipping and yeah so it was yeah. like it was really, really cool and really, really different. And yeah, everything. I think the obviously the standout one in Arizona is the saguaros, the big um, mm-hmm. cacti that are everywhere. And obviously working in a botanic garden, I have seen a cactus. I've seen quite a big cactus before, but like just driving, like before I went, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'll see one. Because like there's a national park with them in it, but like maybe it won't be like, oh, I don't know, like maybe it'll be a bit like hard to spot them no mm-hmm. they're everywhere they line the roadsides yeah, like everywhere. trees they're huge they're like the biggest things i've ever seen in my life um and they are fantastic they are and i like just so amazing like i you, it's like it it takes a lot i think when you've worked in all like when you are a nature person it sometimes takes a lot for you to really be like like you get excited about things a lot but it takes a lot to really take your breath away and be like oh, that's so like imp- but those the saguaros are something that like wow fantastically different and bizarre and so so interesting so so interesting 
you know, that I, I love that you talk about it that way because there is something, and people who haven't spent time in the desert or in those types of climates, there is just some kind of like wild beauty about them mm-hmm. that I think people are not prepared for. Mm-hmm. They don't understand like the big giant open skies and uh, just the colors and it's it's really mm-hmm. like desert landscapes are stark and they're harsh and they're incredibly beautiful. And they're incredibly like they are all those things of like they look harsh and they look kind of scary and dry and barren. But they're absolutely not. There is so much life right. hidden away there. And like there's so much going on. I was I was shocked by the like biodiversity and everything that you saw in terms of both plants, animals, kind of the smaller little insects and reptiles and everything. Like there was more life there than you would expect to see probably and that's in a city than you'd expect to see in, in Tucson, than you'd expect to see like in a city in the UK, which you'd think like, I don't know what it is when there's more rain and there's more kind mm-hmm. of classically green plants and like leaves and everything. Like in my mind, I was like, oh, there'll be more biodiversity in the UK because it's there's more water. Water means life. But in this incredibly dry place, the way that all of these things have had to adapt in different ways to survive in a hundred different <laughs> like really hot and bizarre situations, like mm-hmm. it's just fantastic. And like... Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And like, you know, I I told this story because when I was away, I did a little mini- travel log series of mini podcasts on my show. Yeah. Um, and I told this story there and it's something that like will stick with me forever was like on the last night, I went up for a little hike up one of the like trails near the hotel. And it takes you up this hill that looks down over Tucson and kind of you can see for miles. And that like desert sunsets are like the most fantastic thing like incredible you just it's mind-boggling like like the orange like like sunsets are often orange yes they're very impressive but there's something about the orange of a desert sunset and the contrast with like the blues and the the kind of fading like blacks Mm -hmm. and purples of the mountains as they go down into darkness and like just so incredibly beautiful so like and like it was one of those sites where like stood on this hill looking out I was partially terrified because I was like, we've got to get out of here before it gets dark because I'm not walking into <laughs> one of the these cactuses. Yeah. The oh, yeah. Like, it's not going to happen. But like, um, also like a moment of like, that's a core memory that's sticking with me for a very long time. Like that perfect, perfect view was just yeah. fantastic. Just fantastic. Yeah. Like amazing. Very cool. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. And I enjoyed kind of watching your pictures on Twitter and just mm-hmm. kind of seeing your experience. Because we, I guess we had spoken for your podcast a couple of weeks before mm-hmm. uh, you went and I, it was just, it was fun getting to just see you experience that. Um mm-hmm. Uh, very, it's very cool. Yep, I yeah, that was I messaged because your episode of my podcast was meant to come out while I was there, and then mm-hmm. I had to for listeners who have listened to that episode and were maybe like, why is he delayed like the season finale by a week? It was because when I got to Arizona, I was so inspired by the beauty of nature, I had to <laughs> message you and be like, yeah, I'm delaying your episode by a week because I need to do a travel log of how incredible this is because it's just Which, like I saw my first hummingbird because we don't have those in Scotland oh, and really? just like. Yeah. I, at first I was like, what is that? Like, that is the ugliest, <laughs> biggest moth I've ever seen in my life. Why is it moving like that? And then when you get in closer, you go, oh, no, that's like, it's a hummingbird. That's yeah. like, because they just, they don't move like anything else we have here. So like, you just instantly think 
horrible massive insect of some kind <laughs> um and then yeah the like yeah fantastic the whole thing was just fantastic very cool mm-hmm. well i'm i'm glad you got to have that experience that's really neat mm-hmm. um before we sort of wrap up and again i think we talked about this one i was on i was on your show that the time goes fast mm-hmm. uh, when you're enjoying <laughs> like a conversation yep. uh, i want to talk about some of the science communication work you do because um, you know, you've mentioned the podcast and sort of talked about it quite a bit already, but like what made you want to get into telling people about nature? Like what made you want, because I mean, that's part of your career. Mm-hmm. That's been something you've done at all the places you've been, but like taking that and putting it out there uh, on the internet, on Twitter, mm-hmm. on as a podcast, all those things, it's, it's at least in my experience has been a very different um, very challenging in some ways experience uh, in a good way mm-hmm. and, and, and in some like more traditionally quote unquote challenging ways. But uh, what made you want to do that? What, what inspired that for you? No, that's like, it's a really good question because yeah, like when I was, I think about it all the time because when I was kind of like growing up, I feel like it's not something I would have considered necessarily as like a, potential job like I loved nature and I loved talking about nature and I loved being in nature and I loved talking about plants and animals and all of these things I loved it loved it loved mm-hmm. it but it's not something I would have ever considered to be like careerable and I guess mm-hmm. like I only realized I could really do science communication once I was kind of already in it which is kind of a strange mm. thing because like I applied no, I get that. Yeah, yeah. like I applied for the job at the the kind of um, aquarium that I worked at when I was just finishing up high school like it was the summer between high school and university where kind of you're working out what you're going to do and like just trying to earn some money and like thinking about moving and like being independent and you're all excited about that and th- when I started doing that I was kind of originally like oh okay like this is fun whatever cool but then the more I kind of talked to people and the more you saw those kind of sparks start to ignite in their brains about oh, maybe I could do this to protect the planet or maybe I could go and do this or I could recycle a little bit more. I could go and kind of like um, maybe lobby like a local politician or I could like just equipping them with knowledge and things and seeing those little sparks and those little inspirations fly. I think that's kind of what gets you hooked because you're like, I've made a difference. Like I've gotten through to somebody there and that really like, that feeling was so satisfying to me because like, as I've said, like I've always loved nature and people always ask me, like, why do you love nature? I don't know. I can't tell you. It's just like the spiritual connection that I have. Nature sure. to me, I think, and wildlife, whether it be plant or animal life, I like feel like as a human race, we are so easy to destroy. It's so easy to kind of destroy it and underappreciate it and not think about it. But I don't think that's fair and I don't think that's right. And it's just something mm-hmm. that I've always felt that like we have no right to destroy things that have been here longer than us and kind of claim all these lands and kind of move in on things and change things and destroy things and make things go extinct. I don't think we have any right to do that. And I think we should strive to protect and cherish the things that are there because they have provided so much for us in terms of both physically like sustenance and kind of all of these things, but also in terms of mentally and inspirationally and all of these like emotional sides they've provided so much and it's this weird kind of relationship in my mind of like we 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 don't owe them something but we at least they deserve we they like wildlife and nature at least deserves our respect and so mm-hmm. when i was able to talk to people in the aquarium and see them grow this respect and this love and this value of nature in their kind of hearts and in their heads that kind of really got me hooked 
Um, and like, yeah, going forward, I then kind of, the more that I kind of talk to people in kind of the zoo setting and like the more that I talk to people in the botanical garden setting, like all of that kind of just kind of grew my love and my passion for these things. And then when I went away to uni, I think I kind of, for my master's in conservation, I think people kind of started saying like, oh, like you're clearly really passionate about this. You're clearly like, you like speaking to people, you like engaging people, you like kind of talking about nature and you're good at it. Like you, like you have a nice accent to listen to. Um, so you might like, why not start a podcast or start like chatting about it more or doing more kind of instead of just within the bubbles of Edinburgh Zoo or within the bubble of an aquarium or within the bubble of a garden, like try reaching out of those spaces and finding people who won't necessarily come to these places and visit these places, find them online through whatever means. And so, yeah, I kind of got the courage to start doing that in terms of the podcast and everything. And then, yeah, now I'm... I'm here and just will talk about nature to anybody or anyone who finds them unlucky enough to be in my path as I'm walking. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, that's kind of the journey. I don't know if that, I feel like that answered the question in a, a long and overly drawn out way, but that it got there. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I just, because I'm always interested in why people get into it, mm-hmm. because I think that it's, um, like you say, some people think, oh, that's not a job. I'm like, well, yeah, but it is. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's uh, the kind that, um, maybe doesn't like on paper pay us a lot, you know, uh, uh, if you're out, one of our podcaster friends out there, you're like, yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is meaningful and fulfilling in so many other ways. Yes, exactly. Like it brings like knowing that you have made a difference, even though it's not like, it's not about me. None of it is about me. I don't really care. Like if somebody no, walks sure. away from a conversation being like, well, he was overly enthusiastic and keep the, <laughs> like, I don't mind. I don't like, I don't care. Like, but the people that you do get through to like the satisfaction of knowing, like they go away with a, an appreciation for something you appreciate is just so satisfying and so good, especially like, I don't know. It just is, yeah, no, it's really an interesting cool. one. And like, yeah, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know, I guess like in my mind, like I will always appreciate those people who did that for me and like turned me on to nature and like made me be like, look at this, like appreciate this. And like, I'm always grateful for those people and the thought that, oh, I could be that person for somebody else who like was like, look at this weird like bug. Like, look at that. Look at this like lizard that I have sitting on my shoulder. Look at this like strange plant that's growing like underneath all the really like big, impressive looking plants, but this weird thing that's tucked under there. Like all like all of that, the thought I could be that for somebody is really like exciting. Um and yeah, I don't know. Um again, I'm, awesome. I'm rambling, but that's kind of the No no yeah. no, but that's no I I get that and I, I feel all of that a lot. That it it matters in being because uh, you never know who you'll inspire. You never know who you will uh, turn on to science and nature mm-hmm. and, and all of that. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, so I ask all, as we sort of wrap up here, uh, I ask all my guests before they get away, um, whether they like it or not, uh, for a piece of advice. Um, and if there was something that you wanted the listeners to leave with, whether it's about uh, school or careers or just nature, really anything, anything that you think is important, what would you want to leave with our listeners? So I think, I guess, it's the piece of advice that was given to me at university. So, and I love to share it with everybody because I think it was something that fundamentally changed the way that I view the world and I view myself and the way I view my place and the way that I see the world. And it changed all that sort of stuff. And I like to 
ship it out to as many people as possible. So it's it has a little bit of a story attached. Is that okay? Is that yeah, okay? absolutely. So basically, during the pandemic, when everyone was meant to be really nice to one another, um, and like everyone at uni, it was meant to be kind of like grading or kind of, was meant to be a bit more lenient. Everything was meant to be a bit more kind of like we understand everyone's going through different difficult circumstances. Um, I had a bit of feedback on a presentation that I gave um, that really annoyed me and really upset me at the time but now I look back and laugh on it because it led to another piece of advice that is the good piece of advice so what I'm about to say is not the good thing you should listen to listeners basically <laughs> okay so I submitted this presentation that we'd done um and I was really excited about it because I was like presentations are my thing I've done it in all of these different settings I know I can do them it was a presentation that was meant to be about um kind of convincing somebody who had never uh, or convincing kind of a politician to care about, um, in my case, I was assigned puffins, um, the little mm. seabirds, uh, and making them kind of want to implement conservation action on an island that's off the coast of Scotland to protect puffins. So I put together this presentation. I was really confident in it. It brought together kind of international relations elements that of my kind of undergraduate. It brought together kind of the conservation stuff that I knew I was good at. It brought together all the presentation stuff. I was like, yes, great, fantastic. Um and I received a bit of feedback on that work that said it was childish um, and it was not good um, because it was juvenile. And if you were to present anything like this to anybody, they would not take you seriously and they would not um, kind of consider you to be a serious scientist and you wouldn't. And I was like, and at the time, I say this now kind of like laughing and smiling, but at the time, right. mid pandemic, when I'd been locked in my house for six months, that yeah. particular piece of feedback did not go down particularly well. And I was very upset and I was very angry about it. And it kind of really demotivated me for quite a long time because I was like, it kind of makes you question like the way you view the world of like having this like wonder and joy and childlike kind of energy when you look at it is kind of taken away because you're told, well, that's not scientific or that's not professional enough or whatever it is and it kind of like oh okay and demotivated me but then um the person who gave me that piece of feedback will remain nameless but then my dissertation supervisor <laughs> who was fantastic and lovely and wonderful dr monique mckenzie from the university mm -hmm. of st andrews who is amazing um she was kind of helping me to kind of create my dissertation project um and I think she could tell I was a little demotivated and annoyed about things and stressed about things. Um, and so we had a conversation in which she kind of gave me this advice, which has stuck with me and I think has changed and re-motivated me, which is the way that you look at the world with this kind of childlike lens and childlike joy is really special and unique. Mm. And conservation can be really hard and it can be really challenging because there are those people who are nasty there are those people who there are challenges that are so big and they seem so huge and there are battles that are really like you don't think you're going to win but if you can pick yourself up from all of those challenges and still look at the world through these kind of childlike joy and you look at every win that you have because there are so many wins that we have in conservation there's so many species that have been reintroduced there are so many things areas of land that have been protected there's so many things that kind of people that we've reached through education there's all of these big wins if you look at all of those wins and all of the world with that childlike joy and wonder that you have in fact the world becomes a better place and you're able to achieve more and you're able to do more and you're able to kind of stay motivated because if you turn yourself into a grumpy adult who takes everything far too seriously you're not gonna like you'll lose that motivation and that wonder because you'll take all the hits too personally keep that kind of like 
bear in mind the hits and you need to think about them. Sure. But like yeah. keep the childlike wonder as well, because that is what will keep you motivated and what will keep you discovering new things that are incredible and inspired. And yeah, and that kind of from there on, I went on to launch the podcast, which has done very well. I went on with that lens to like win these two awards that I won ridiculously this year. I got invited yeah. to speak at different events about my experiences and kind of like all of these good things have happened because I've kept that childlike wonder when I look at the world. And so, yeah, that would be my piece of advice is that don't listen to people who give you bad advice like I got. Listen to the people mm. who tell you like the childlike wonder is great and keep that childlike wonder because it's what will keep you motivated and make you, yeah, achieve things. It's my That's opinion. awesome. Yeah. No, that's that's such good that's such good advice. I love that mm. a lot. Um so Jack, man, I I, I appreciated <laughs> I appreciate you being on so much. That was a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, uh, I know you're, you do several things, <laughs> but uh, what do you want to plug? Yes. So I, I am, I've mentioned it a few times throughout the show. I'm the host of Pangolin, the conservation podcast, which is not just about the scaly little anteatery creatures, the pangolins. It's about all creatures which, like the pangolin, are underappreciated or people don't know about, or a bit weird, or a bit different. Um, we talk about all of those different stories on Pangolin. Um, everything from kind of like reframing um, species that everybody thinks they know about, like giraffes, um, and talking about their kind of silent extinction, or kind of um, talking about uh, plants that people genuinely know nothing about, and we need to kind of mm -hmm. help them know more about. So things that we had you on, obviously, and then we have episodes about the wall of my pine. We have um, all sorts of stuff like that, which kind of people don't necessarily know about, but they should know about, and they should know more about. So all of those weird, wonderful conservation stories, all on there. Pangolin, the conservation's podcast, available where all good podcasts and my podcast <laughs> are streamed. Um, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you can find me on social media. The podcast account is at Pangolin Podcast on everywhere. Or you can find me if you're interested in what I do and all of my trips and adventures and PhDs and things. I am at the only Jack Baker on Instagram or at only Jack Baker on Twitter. So that is, um, yeah, I, I've really prepped for being a star there where I'm like, I'm the only one. Uh, those are my handles for all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, come and join me because it's, I'm, I'm always posting something. You can tell when I should yeah. be working and I'm just procrastinating because that's when I tweet. Oh, so for sure. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, Jack's a good follower. You should definitely go check out all those things. Pangolin is such a fun podcast. And uh, if you've enjoyed his enthusiasm and just love for nature, you you absolutely should be listening to that as well. It's a great show. Thank you. Um, but Jack, again, I really appreciated it. Um, I'm glad we get to be friends and I'm glad we get to chat about nature and stuff. And uh uh, yeah, just thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you again for being on my show. It's yeah, it's great. And like, yes, yeah, very glad. That was very genuinely nice. That was like, oh, like friends. <laughs> oh, like yeah, genuinely very nice and very appreciated to have, yeah, somebody like more nature people all around the world to chat to about things that we love. Like, thank you so much for being that. And yeah, and thank you for producing a great show because I yeah and love it, love it. Oh, I appreciate it. Well, to all of you all out there listening, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for uh, doing the thing. Keep being nice to each other. If you have not been nice to each other, maybe give that a shot. <laughs> and uh, we will talk again soon.
Y'all, I hope that you never lose your childlike wonder or the desire and the love for sharing that wonder for other people, just like Jack. I think Jack is such an inspirational guy, not just because he wins awards and does all kinds of cool stuff, but because he's just a genuinely kind human being, a kind man with a big heart and a love for nature and a love for sharing that with other people. And I think he can be a big inspiration to all of us. Y'all, thank you so much for listening. Um, You know I do this for you, and I know... Uh, that it's been a sort of inconsistent year, but I'm, but I appreciate you sticking with me through all of it. And I'm just proud to get to be your friend. I'm happy we get to be friends. Uh, thanks again to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for sponsoring the show. Thanks to you, the listener. Thanks to the Podfix Network. Um, it is because of you that I am able to do what I do. We'll have a special Thanksgiving episode coming up next week and some other fun stuff before the end of November. Uh, and then a few goodies coming at you to, for in December. And then we're hitting it hard in 2023. Y'all, you are very cool plant people. Keep being kind to each other. If you haven't done that, maybe give it a shot. Keep being great. Keep being wonderful. And I will talk to you next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.